0: We spoke this morning about the preeminence of Christ. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And again, I will say, as I said this morning, that I feel rather awkward trying to get teaching from this particular passage when really I would prefer to have three or four weeks to do it, uh, to do any kind of justice at all to it because there's so much in this section. But with the help of God, we'll have a look especially at those verses from verse 24 to 29. Paul speaks in verse 23 of the gospel that was being preached to the very ends of the world and of which he had been made a minister. One of the things we notice about Colossians is that unlike some of Paul's other letters, there are very few personal references in it. That may be simply because Paul didn't know the people. But in the other letters you often get Particular personal references, but in Colossians there is very, very little. But Paul here refers to himself, or rather to his ministry, and he uses two words that characterize Paul's ministry. They're perhaps not words that we would use when talking about gospel ministry. But Paul refers to his ministry and characterizes his ministry by these two words, suffering and rejoicing. Suffering and rejoicing. Now, we're going to be speaking most tonight about Paul's ministry or the ministry of the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean you can sit and switch off because you're not a minister and so it doesn't apply to you. It does. It's not just about those who are in the gospel ministry. It's about the spreading of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting to note that in verse 24, the first word is now. Now. Paul was writing during a period of imprisonment when he was actually suffering discomfort and pain. It's very easy for us to speak about bearing up under, uh, under difficulties and trials when we're not actually going through those trials because we tend to put on rose-coloured glasses and we say, yes, of course, no matter what comes, no matter what difficulties come in our life, we must uh, rejoice in all circumstances. And when everything is going well, It's easy to say that, but it's not easy to say it when we are going through the trials, when we are going through the tests, and life is difficult and uncomfortable. And Paul was writing from prison. We don't know how severe his imprisonment was, but from what we understand, at least some of his imprisonment was in not very comfortable circumstances. So he was actually suffering discomfort and pain, and yet he was able to say that he rejoiced in his suffering now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So we'll have a look at what constitutes true ministry And that's whether it's the ministry of the minister or whether it's whatever ministry you have. Whatever ministry you have in the congregation. It may not be a formal ministry. And the ministry that we all have as disciples of Christ to spread the gospel of Christ. So we all have these ministries. But true ministry, first of all, is identification. True ministry is identification. It is, first of all, identification with Christ in suffering. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, it would be foolish to say that that was an easy verse. It's not. It's difficult to understand. What is meant when Paul says that he fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is Paul meaning to say that when the believer suffers, he adds something to the sufferings of Christ as though the sufferings of Christ were not sufficient although we needed to add something to it now that's exactly what the heretics were saying in Colossae they were saying Christ is not enough you've got to have more now we know that they were talking about these magical passwords and the angels and so on but is Paul saying that the sufferings of Christ were not enough to redeem the souls of men? Well, of course he's not saying that. Of course he's not uh, indicating that anything was lacking in the atoning value of the sacrifice of Christ. Neither does it mean that good works or suffering can be added to the merits of Christ. We are received by God through Christ only because of what Christ has done for us. There is absolutely nothing that we can add to it. There is absolutely nothing that we can add that will make God think more kindly of us than he already does. And he thinks kindly of us because he sees us as we are in Christ, because Christ has paid the penalty. So it doesn't mean that. The meaning is rather, I suggest two things here. First of all, the sufferings of the believer are a part of the suffering of Christ. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John and the 15th chapter. Chapter 15, at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So these sufferings of the believer... Remember what we said this morning. Christ is the head. His people are the body. And you know yourself that when one part of your body is injured, it's not just that one part that hurts. It's every single part of the body. If you break your finger, you don't say, well, it doesn't matter because I've still got the others. And these are not hurting. This is the one that hurts. This is the one that causes pain and if a part of the body suffers, then the the head suffers as well. The sufferings of the believer are a part of the suffering of Christ. But there's another thing that we need to think about. The enemies of Christ are never satisfied. They can no longer afflict him. He has risen, he has ascended, He is in heaven. He is out of their reach. He is out of the reach of Satan, he is out of the reach of his people. And if they cannot attack Christ Himself, they will persecute his people instead. Mark chapter ten verse twenty five, Acts nine, four and five. The enemies of Christ are never satisfied. It should be no surprise to us that God's people are persecuted. Indeed, it should be a surprise to us that we are not persecuted. And here in this land, we are not persecuted. We have freedom to come and go. We have freedom to stand in the street and preach. We have freedom to live for Christ I wonder, have you ever asked yourself the question, why is it that we're not persecuted? Why did they persecute the early Christians and they don't persecute us? Is it because we're not like enough to Christ? Is it because we're not as open with our faith as they were? Is it because we don't challenge people about their relationship with Christ as they did? Is it because we're quite content to go along, along with the flow, along with everybody else? The early believers were persecuted. It's a wonder that we're not. The suffering that was being endured was for the good of the church especially in the context of Paul's ministry of evangelization. You all know the old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we think that's great, as long as it's not us. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yes, that's great when we talk about the covenanters in the 17th century. Yes, it's good when we talk about people in other lands who suffer for the cause of Christ. What about when we look at ourselves? Are we willing for our blood to be the seed of the church? So there is identification with Christ in suffering. It should not surprise the child of God that he suffers and is made to suffer for Christ. After all, if Christ suffered, should we expect any better? Should we expect any different But there's not just identification with Christ in suffering. There is identification with Christ in service. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me For you to make the Word of God fully known. Now you remember, as we read of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, he is often described as a servant. You remember in the upper room when he took the towel and girded himself and washed his disciples' feet, and he told them that he was a servant. He was their master, yes, but his life was dedicated to service, service of his people. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here, that we are to be identified with Christ in service. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ was the servant of God and the servant of the church, so was Paul in the calling that he received from God. Now, his calling was to preach the word of God to the Gentiles, That's the message he received on the road to Damascus. And he talks here about this stewardship. And what does a steward do? A steward administers the things that are given to him. And we are to consider our own stewardship. What stewardship or what part of the stewardship has Christ given to you? Let me put it another way. What gifts has God given to you in stewardship? He has given them to you to look after and to use and to use for his glory. I wonder, are we as faithful in the exercise of the gifts that Christ has given to us as Paul was? we read that passage that spoke about Paul's sufferings. And I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I think, how could one man put up with all those things? How could he put up with being beaten so many times? How, many, how often can a person endure being Being shipwrecked and being put in prison and being mocked and derided. How often can a person put up with that? And yet, Paul not only put up with it, but he delighted in it. He rejoiced in it because he was suffering for Christ. Identification with Christ in service. We are, as believers, to serve Christ. But we serve Christ as we serve our fellow man, especially as we serve our fellow believers. I suppose we've all had the experience of wanting to get somebody to do some particular job in the church, and we can't find anybody. Nobody's available, nobody's willing. Not just in the big jobs. Although the big jobs are easy to fill. But it's the the little jobs. The unseen jobs. The things that need to be done. And perhaps we consider some of these things to be beneath us. They don't match my skills and my talents. And yet we are to be identified with Christ in our service. Who knelt down to wash the dirty and smelly feet of his disciples. Is there anything more humiliating than that? For the Lord of glory. And we like Paul are to be identified with Christ in our service. But then Paul raises his eyes above the, uh, the earth and he talks about being identified with Christ in glory. We are to be identified with Christ in suffering, we're to be identified with Christ in service, but we're to be identified with Christ in glory. To know Christ in you is the only hope of glory. He says I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you and just to go back a bit, remember that phrase. The stewardship from God that was given to me. Ask yourself the question what is the stewardship from God given to me and he says it's to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to saints to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is in you the hope of glory and to know Christ in you is the only genuine hope for glory. All other expectations or all other hopes for everlasting glory are doomed to failure. It is only as a person experiences in this life the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ within that he he can have the assurance of life everlasting In the presence of God. You see, identification with Christ on earth is the only guarantee of identification with him in glory. There is no other hope. If we are to be identified with Christ in glory, then we must be identified with him here on this earth. So true ministry... Whether that's the ministry of a minister, whether it's the ministry of an elder, the ministry of a deacon, the ministry of a Sabbath school teacher, or the ministry of individual believers, true ministry is identification. Identification with Christ in suffering, identification with him in service, and identification with him in glory. The second thing that we see in this passage is true ministry is not just identification. True ministry is inspiration. Inspiration. Paul had spoken of the message that had been preached throughout the whole world to Jew and Gentile, and incidentally, that is the mystery that he's speaking about. The mystery that that he was speaking about. It was not something mysterious. It was just something that was hidden. It was previously hidden, but now it's been revealed. And that mystery was the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. You see, in the Old Testament, the work of God was restricted mainly to the Jewish people. But now there is this mystery that has been revealed, this secret things. That was, was known to the prophets in the past, but not widely known to the people. This mystery, the gospel would be spread to the Gentile world, and that was Paul's. That was Paul's ministry. This message had been preached throughout the whole world to Jew and Gentile alike. This was the true mystery of God in contrast to these spurious mysteries of these Gnostic heretics, these false teachers, he now explains exactly what this ministry involves. And Paul was in no doubt whatsoever about the theme of Christian ministry. First of all, he tells us, it is a message about a person, the gospel is not a system of doctrine. It's not an outlining of moral principles. It is the setting forth of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this message that was preached to Jew and Gentile alike, this was the message that was was given to Paul to spread throughout the world a message about Christ. And that is the Gospel. It deals with the types and shadows of the Old Testament. It deals with the prophecies that foretold his coming and his work. Never ever think that the gospel is confined to the New Testament. It's not. We cannot really understand the truth of the gospel until we see it in its Old Testament context. How God dealt with his people through all the ages of the Old Testament until we see the types and the shadows that we have in books like Leviticus. The the types that we see later on, the prophecies that we we read of uh, in the prophetic messages, these prophecies that foretold his coming and his work, and then the Gospel includes the facts about his life, death and resurrection, and the salvation that comes through him, and the consequences of his work in the lives of men and women. It's a message about the person. And anything that pretends to be the gospel that is not focused entirely upon Christ is a false gospel. It is not the gospel of Christ. It is centred and focused upon a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, Paul says more than that. Not only is it a message about a person... It is a message that is to be proclaimed. The facts about the Lord Jesus Christ are not points for debate. They're not points for discussion, to be considered alongside the the lives of other famous men or other religious leaders. They are facts to be declared as a herald declares the words of the one who sent him. That's what Paul was talking about. He was saying, this ministry that I have, and I would suggest that the ministry that we have, is to declare the truth about Jesus, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. People are very, very happy Often, to talk about religion. They're quite keen sometimes to talk about different points of theology. But talking about religion, talking about theology, is not going to rescue a soul from hell. What will is the gospel of Christ the gospel that is to be declared as a herald. Alexander McLaren says this, a messenger's virtue is to say exactly what he has been told and to say it in such a way that the people to whom he has to carry it cannot but hear and understand it. A messenger's virtue is to say exactly what being has been told, to say it in such a way that the people to whom he has to carry it cannot but hear and understand it. And that is what we are to do. We are to declare the truth about God. Anyone who is in the gospel ministry and does not declare the facts about Jesus is a false minister he may have the trappings of being a minister but his purpose, his task is to declare Christ to present Christ to men and women and that's not just speaking about salvation from the start If we declare Christ, we declare his glory to to his people. If we declare Christ, we we seek to proclaim how we should live as disciples of Christ and so on. It contains the full range of biblical truth. But the task is to declare it. And we can't really say, well, I'm not a minister. It's not my job to do that. But it is. It is, as a believer, you are to tell men and women of Christ. That's, what we, that's our responsibility. Not as ministers or elders, but as believers, to tell men and women of Christ. It's a message about a person, it's a message that is to be proclaimed, but it's a message, it's a common message. Paul wants the believers to know that the message that he proclaimed, the message that he preached, was not just his. But it was the one and same message proclaimed by all the apostles and all the other ministers of the gospel. There are not many truths, but only Christ, who is the truth. And Paul knew and he warned the church that if anyone preached anything other than the gospel that he preached, that person would be cursed by God. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. That person would be anathema in the sight of God so it's a message about a person it's a message that is to be proclaimed and it is a common message wherever we go throughout the world in whatever language it may happen to be faithful men and women are proclaiming the same message they are proclaiming Christ as saviour and lord throughout the world in many different countries, in many different languages, men today are proclaiming Christ, the same Christ, the same message. It is a common message throughout the whole world. But thirdly, true ministry is identification, true ministry is inspiration, and true ministry is instruction. After the Apostle Paul had spoken to the Colossians about the theme of the Christian ministry, he goes on to speak to them about the message, uh, I'm sorry, about the methods that were to be used in this ministry and the glorious objective that it had. There are two concepts here, the concept of teaching and admonishing. And these two concepts are quite often linked in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. For example, Romans chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, Romans 15, 7, 2 Corinthians 8 and 7 to 9. You see, for the Apostle Paul, there could never be any teaching that was not applied And the job of the ministry and the job of believers as they speak to their neighbours and friends is not simply to set out the truth about Christ. That's a start. But it is to be applied. It is to be applied to those who hear it. There could never be teaching for Paul that was not applied Neither could there be admonition that was not rooted and grounded in biblical truth and biblical doctrine. Now the proclamation of the word is both educational in that it teaches men and women the truth about God, the truth about man, the truth about sin, truth about Christ, but it is also personal and practical in that it applies the truths of the gospel to the conscience and specifies the duties imposed upon people by that truth. One of the marks of a truly gospel ministry is a combination of the clear teaching of the word of God and the faithful application of the truth to its hearers. Let's think about it in the context of an individual. We're talking to somebody. We can tell them that Jesus came. We can tell them that Jesus walked the earth. We can tell them that he did many miracles... We can tell them that he died on the cross. We could tell them that he rose again from the dead. We can tell them that he's coming again. And if we leave it at that, then the person would say, So what? So what? What does that have to do with me? Nice story. But what does it mean for me? And so we need to apply the truth. Now we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who finally applies the truth to the soul of man. But as heralds, we have that responsibility to tell men and women what this gospel means for them. What does it mean for you? It means if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not turn from your sins, then you are bound for hell. Now, we may well lose friends. We may be seen as something of a crank, but that's what we're to do. We're to apply the truth as well as simple instruction. There must be application because the glorious objective of the preaching of the gospel is to bring men and women and boys and girls into a relationship of love with the Almighty God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can only truly be described as a whole person when we are presented in perfect holiness before the throne of the living and true God. Through the preaching of the word, through the ministry of the word, in whatever form that takes, those who believe are brought into a new relationship with the triune God and through the same word they are being constantly sanctified until that day when they will be transformed into the very likeness of Christ. That's how Paul described his ministry. That is the way we should describe our respective ministries, whatever they happen to be, because we all have a stewardship from God. How are we exercising that stewardship? No wonder then, given these things, that Paul was prepared to toil and to labour to achieve this glorious end recognizing that the power to undertake this kind of ministry comes alone from God. May God enable us to be identified with Christ in suffering. May we be identified with him in service. That we may be identified with him in glory. Let us remember that the message that we have to proclaim is an inspired message that comes from God. It comes through his word. And that we have a responsibility to instruct, to admonish, to teach that men and women and boys and girls might come to know Christ as Lord and Saviour. Amen.